I'll lose my job for clocking in one minute late. Well, I hate to do this. Punctuality is a good habit. It shows discipline and commitment. I worked in a warehouse where you had to clock in before your start time. There was a computerized process and you would lose your job if you clocked in late more than twice a year, even if you were only one minute late. Now, I pride myself on punctuality, but I was running a bit late for the third time in 10 months. A man's got to hustle. And I simply called my employer and told him that I was feeling sick and needed to take a day off. My state has paid accrued sick leave. The fallout was that I kept my job. It's been a year since. And I got paid for a full day without working. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash malicious compliance. I used to work in a school system where we got accrued time off for sick leave, personal time, PTO. And you know, some some days are like that. You know, you get up late, everything's a scramble, everything goes wrong. You spill your coffee. You, if you ever get a chance, listen to the uh, uh, ever have one of those days on YouTube. Uh, it's sort of a true representation for everybody at least once in their life where everything that could go wrong on your way to work just does. Or maybe your whole day goes that way. In which case, you're better off calling in for a sick day anyway, so there's that. So you're claiming I defrauded the company by booking an extra three minutes. No problem. I worked for a water company for 25 years and was one of their most productive repair crews. That is, until the new manager, let's call him Mr. Numbnuts, started. We had a monthly rota where you were on call for one week in four for emergency repairs out of hours. On the day in question, I started work at 7.30 a.m. on a Friday and finished work at 3.15 a.m. on Saturday morning. So a pretty long hour shift. I get to work Tuesday morning and get called into the office by Mr. Numbnuts and informed that according to my vehicle tractor, I'd left the yard at 3.12 a.m. and not 3.15 a.m., which is an attempt to defraud the company. As you can imagine, I was absolutely fuming at this level of BS. I told him that at the time I was covered in mud and sweat and just wanted to get home after completing a monster shift for the company, and he was genuinely making a shitstorm over three minutes. He said he was making me aware that I could be fired for it. Cue malicious compliance. I said that if we're going to be this petty, you can take me off the emergency contact list for extra coverage, and I won't be starting 20 minutes early each day either. I'll now be clocking in at exactly 7.30 a.m., and I shall be heading out at exactly 5.30 p.m. No deviation whatsoever, and you can explain to your bosses why productivity is down and you're struggling to get coverage for emergencies. We'll then see how important your three minutes are when they're costing the company money. Little did I realize at the time, but the guy's job was bonus-related and linked to our productivity, which tanked after that because all the other gangs followed my lead, except the brown-nosed gangs, obviously. Three weeks go by with an absolute shit show and customer service complaints about their work not being carried out in a timely manner. My productivity dropped from seven jobs per day down to four. And Mr. Numbnuts gets called in by his bosses to try and explain what the F is going on. He tried to spin some BS story that I'd turned all the guys against him for no reason and that this was the result. Little did he know that I'd actually trained his boss when he first started with the company 15 years before and wanted to come out and find out what we do and experience how hard the job is. He surprised me by working a full month on the repair crews before going back to the office. Anyhow, the boss calls me in to find out what's really going on. So I explain how he'd used the tracker to monitor what time I'd left the yard, and that I'd guesstimated my finish time and overestimated by three minutes because I was absolutely knackered after working a shift from hell on call. Conclusion? Manager was let go for misuse of the tracking system, as it's only supposed to be used for emergencies and not monitoring, and we had our on-call system reviewed to cut the hours we were having to work. Edit. Apologies for being so long-arsed. Edit number two. No apologies for format or spelling and grammar. That's just me. 
this isn't an English exam, it's the freaking internet. Get a grip. Holy shit, this blew up quickly. I like your style, OP. First off, you know, I just worked how many hours? I'm not going to sit here and add it up because numbers are hard. Anyway, the point is you worked a long day, way longer than anybody should reasonably expect you to work, whether it's on-call emergencies or not. Two, like you said, you were covered in mud and you were wet and it's you're tired. It's just, it's draining. Psychologically, mentally, physically, it just sucks the soul right out of you. And, you know, you can usually deal with that aspect of the job, most jobs, if people stay off your butt. But then you got numbnuts here who thinks that micromanaging his minions is going to solve all the world's problems. And really what he's doing is creating dissension among the ranks and creating a hostile environment where people aren't going to cover the emergencies. And some may not even get their regular day's job done outside of the emergencies. So, yeah. And thank you for the non-apology for your grammar and spelling and all that. You know, I find that I struggle with that myself, where I'm trying to speak and read the story in my tone, but also kind of share the tone that I'm picking up from the story itself. And people will razz me all the time about pronunciations, spellings, when I didn't spell the word to begin with. That comes from the original poster. Um, and then, you know, bust my chops about the meanings of words. Some, most people are usually helpful and tell me the meanings of the words. The other day, I mispronounced something on the Tales from Tech Support channel. And when I went back and edited, I did put the definition up. So I do go back and look things up, but sometimes it's just too much to try to record a little segment to stick in there later on to show that I looked the word up. But, you know, good for you. And uh, Mr. Numbnuts got exactly what was coming to him. National Costume Day. Decades ago, I thought taught in a mediocre for-profit international school where teachers were treated like crap. It was weird and toxic. I knew I was in trouble on the first day when someone pointed to a plastered over door and said that they all made jokes that the wall was where all the teachers are disappeared to who got fired in the middle of the year. That happened. The firing, not the murder wall part. But before it did, I got really tired of the bizarre infantilization and micromanagement. They did things like convoke the entire faculty on Saturday morning from 9 to 12 for a special training seminar, and then refused to let us go home when it was finished at 10.30 because we had agreed to stay until 12, telling us to go sit at our desks and do some work. I hated that place. We were told one day that all of the students and staff were to wear our national costumes. Being American, being fundamentally averse to pilgrims, and situationally averse by that point to making any extra effort in that demoralizing job, I wore a big baggy t-shirt, a baseball cap, old blue jeans, and trainers. I was a study in absolute slubbiness. <laughs> There's a new word for me. My national costume was at the same time unassailable and in complete violation of the dress code. When I ran into the two members of the administration responsible for the reign of terror under which we all toiled, they had faces of thunder and couldn't say a single word. I worked for the public school system here locally where I live now uh, for eight and a half years, almost nine years. And uh, let me just say that while my school experience wasn't as bad as yours, I loved working with the kids overall. Everything has its downsides, but overall, I enjoyed what I did. I worked in special education and most of my kids were great little hard-headed. They liked getting their way, but you know, they were good overall. Some of the teachers, eh, I could, I could take or leave most of the teachers. There was a few that I really liked and enjoyed speaking with. Uh, administration, most of them were fine. There was a few 
unique personalities, let's say. But this one principal used to jump my butt. When I first started there, I would dress nice in a button-down shirt, khaki pants, nice shoes. Um, I wore a tie on my first day there and then got pepper sprayed because I was helping to break up a girl fight. So, uh, yeah, no more ties because they're handles and they hold pepper spray really well for a really long time. There's just no way to wash it out. And my button-down shirt got stained with pepper spray, so <laughs> there's that. Anyway, to make a long story longer, I started wearing jeans, the same nice shoes, jeans that were not holy, not marked up and stained and all that, really nice, clean jeans, and similar button-down shirts, but not quite as expensive as the other ones. Presentable, professional, and didn't hinder my job in the slightest. But this principal would always bust my chops. Mr. Conley, why are we wearing jeans today? It's not Friday because Fridays we could pay extra towards some charity to wear jeans. I said, listen, I'll pay for every day of the week if you want me to, but I'm not wearing my $70 khaki pants and, you know, an equally expensive button-down shirt to roll around on the floor with these kids who find it appropriate and amusing to brawl in the middle of the school day, especially in the cafeteria when there's food involved. Ugh. And I explained that to him, you know, not in front of the crowd or anything. I we had a we had a little sit down behind closed doors meeting, and I said, it really is easier for me to maneuver in jeans. They hold up better if I have to go down on the floor with somebody or scuffle in the parking lot or whatever. And you expect me to do this? You expect me to go hands on with students and roll around on the floor with them, shredding pairs of pants that I can't possibly write off? I said it's just not going to happen. He never pressed hard enough to like put my job in jeopardy or anything, but he did just nonstop, Mr. Conley. When I first started growing this out, I was still working for the school. And he'd say, Mr. Conley, are you going to trim your beard anytime soon? <laughs> Meanwhile, we had a history teacher down the hall who was a leftover from 1960-whatever who had the most scraggly mustache and beard I've ever seen in my life, even more scraggly than mine, and mine, mine just needs some upkeep but I'm not working in a professional environment anymore. He had a ponytail that looked like it hadn't been let down and washed in probably 40-some years. And he always had the same button-down shirt on with the same mustard stain right at the edge of where his tie was. Now, granted, he did wear a tie, but the mustard stain kind of gave everything away. This guy dressed like this every single day. Shirt half-tucked in, sloppy. I might have been in jeans, but I was still, I was still put together. So, what are you going to do? People are crazy. Oh, I have to resubmit my application because I never got the notification to give you more info? Alright, but I'm making darn sure you received it. So just to be clear, this is an ongoing issue in compliance, so no nice resolution just yet. But if folks want, I can update when more happens. Also, for clarity, I live in the U.S., so no universal health care and a lot of out-of-pocket medical expenses. So to start off, over the last 12 months, I've had to, on three separate occasions, get different medication tests done. First two were blood tests, four months apart due to different concerns, and another for a non-blood test. What I didn't know was that there was a significant out-of-pocket cost for each of these tests, like almost $300 each time, that I wasn't informed of until I got the bill. Well, being paid in a high cost of living city because of my career choice, on top of student loan payments starting back up, and a few unexpected expenses pop up, this was going to be hard to pay off. That's when I decided to apply for a financial assistance program through my insurance. Now, you would think having such a program would be nice of my insurance, which sounds not even close to razor, rate, razor, temporary, which sounds not even close to razor temporary, and that's what I thought too. So I requested an application, 
filled it out, and mailed it back in June. Got a confirmation message on my insurance's app that they had gotten the application and to give them 21 business days to review it. I figured, okay, I can wait. And wait I did. And waited. And waited. Finally, mid-August, I figured I'd check up on the application. And after being bounced around on the phone triage, I finally got to someone in customer service at insurance that doesn't even remotely sound like Pfizer temporary. Wait, the word changed. I don't know. Pfizer temporary? I don't know. Who could give me an answer? Their real answer? Oh, we never got your proof of income as requested, so we closed out the application. Uh, what request? We sent out a letter asking you to submit proof of income, but since we never got a response, we closed out the application. Mind you, this is not a request listed in the initial application form, nor had I ever gotten a letter or email, call, or even smoke signal from them informing me that they needed this info. But I never got this letter. Well, we sent it out in July. But I never got it. Can you guys please resend me the letter and email it to me again and not close out my application? As soon as I get it, I'll send you the info. So I would know where to send it and attach it to the email? The representative agreed and you would think I'd get the email and letter. I submit my pay stubs, end of story. Well, you're wrong. Because guess what email never came in? Checked and rechecked and was chronically refreshing my email inbox and my junk folder. No email came in. So a few days later, I called again. Guess who claimed, again, that they sent the email, which, once again, I never got. Guess who had to call three more times in order to get someone to submit the email while I was on the phone with them before I got the freaking email. So I finally got the email, attached my pay stubs to the email, and sent it back. Surely I'm done now? Nope. Within a week of doing this, I finally got the paper letter requesting the info. One day later, I got a paper letter saying because I never sent them my pay stubs, so they were closing out my application again. Well, as anyone at this point, saying I was frustrated and pissed wouldn't cover it. Keep in mind, I'm still, all this time, having to make attempts to pay off my medical bills, and it's during this time that the third test had to be done, so the bill grew even higher. I was told that this test was covered by my insurance. Clearly, that wasn't true. So I call again to file a complaint this time and to see what the heck was going on. The duckers claimed I never emailed them back with my pay stubs and I would have to reapply. I was even told at one point, in reference to my complaint, I don't know what you're asking me to do, after I clearly told them why I was upset at this point. So I have to, at this point, reapply? Okay, I'll reapply and make sure this time there's absolutely no way you can say you never got my application. I went and printed off a month's worth of pay stubs and printed off 10 copies of each. Had to be sure I don't forget those again, right? I then printed off 10 applications, filled them all out, including recalculating how much out-of-pocket medical expenses I've had in the last 12 months. Oh, that test I had after I submitted my application the first time? Can't forget to add that. Oh, I had to refill my prescription and had a copay. Better include that too. By the end, the amount listed was more than $200 more than what it was when I first did the application. Now to make sure they get it. Now that following Monday, I went into the post office and asked for 10 stamps and to send something via certified mail. Less than $12 to enact my compliance. Every day for that week, a letter, numbered on the envelope, and an application went out. The same exact application, signed and dated for the same day, same numbers, the only thing different is the number on the back of the envelope, and that on Monday, I sent the first one via certified letter. Next Monday rolls around and not a peep from Visor Temporary. Wait, did, the, did it change again? I wish I knew who it really was. Oh, let's make sure all five letters didn't get lost in the mail. Another certified letter, five more envelopes and applications with all the same information ready to go. Today, I finally got a response via email. Thank you for your application. Please allow us 30 days to review your request. 
Oh, but this is pretty close to what they said last time. I can't stop sending them in. How will I know for sure they got all the info they needed this time? That is, until they finally approve my application for financial help like they should have done back in July. Insurance companies, certain big corporations, um, state entities, federal entities. It's, it's really not, there's really nothing you can do to help this. Uh, it's an internal problem with them. My wife's been arguing back and forth with the state different departments of the state for years now because they keep hiring contractors to do certain tasks, whether it's billing, actually cutting the checks, two different places. Amazing. No communication among any of them. And they keep claiming that forms weren't sent in or received. They keep claiming that, you know, this form is wrong. That form is wrong. Really, nobody knows what the hell's going on. And I imagine most big giant insurance conglomerates are the same exact way. Between the bureaucracy that normally holds things up and the ineptitude of the people they hire, it's just a shit show all the way around. Come to my register while speaking on the phone and tell me rudely to stop talking? <laughs> Alright. Let's say, seven years ago, I used to work as a cashier in a pharmacy. Think Shoppers Brogmart. I didn't like the job and have low threshold when it comes down to rude and disrespectful customers. Whenever a customer would come to my register while talking on the phone, I would take great pleasure to say all the usual stuff I'm required to say, just loud enough so that it disturbs the call. In a friendly voice, Hi, how are you? Have you found what you were looking for? Do you have the fidelity card? Would you like to donate to X? I would usually be met halfway with a gesture or words that mean that they want me to stop talking. And stop talking is what I did. In my city and store policies, plastic bags can't be given freely. They cost five cents, and because they aren't free, I need consent from the client before adding them to the bill. Unfortunately, the bag was the last thing I would have asked if they let me speak. But I was told to stop talking, so I do just that. Scan the items, leave them standing on my counter, don't say the total amount, wait until the customers realize it's time to pay, then let the customers pay and wait. Usually, now they talk to me and ask, why aren't you bagging my stuff? Without a word, I point out the clear yellow sign on my counter. Bag, five cents. Most of them pull back their wallet to pay. Some grabs their stuff hastily and leave, still on the phone. This makes me happy. This whole five cent per bag thing drives me absolutely bonkers. Actually, where I live, this is a city ordinance, not even a state or county ordinance, where plastic bags are pretty much uh, banned, for lack of a better term. They're just banned. Um, there are still some places that have them and can use them, I don't know if it's because they're using them up or what, but some will offer paper alternatives or the cheapy, they're not canvas, they're just sort of a, I don't know, like a Tyvek white suit you would see, like a hazmat suit, that type of bag. They call it a reusable bag, but I think most of the time they rip easier than the plastic ones. So don't even get me started on that anyway. But the fact that somebody comes up to the register to conduct business and they're on the phone. Now, I've been on the phone in line at a register before. And I'll either tell the person I got to call him back or tell him to hold on a minute and stick the phone in my pocket, finish my transaction. When I'm on my way out, then I can pick the phone back up and either call or whatever and continue on my day. There's no need in making everybody behind me wait and deal. Really, it's kind of rude to be on the phone anyway in a crowd, making everybody else part of your conversation. But it also, you know, makes the cashier's job harder. It just, it just mucks up the whole works, man. Just there's no need to be on the phone in the middle of that. And if it's that much of an emergency or urgent whatever, then get out of line. Get out of the line. Go off to the side, talk to people. When you're done, then get back in line and pay for your 
groceries or meds or whatever. It just never ceases to amaze me how narcissistic people can be thinking that everything's about them. There's no common courtesy. People don't hold doors right. They block aisles. They let their kids destroy things. Don't even get me started on the way they drive. It's just, ugh. If you want to see more videos just like this one, do me a favor and click on this video right here. I think you're going to enjoy it.